the last uh, refrain of that song, um, that is the sum of our relationship with the Lord God through the Almighty Jesus. Help me to see that my chains are no, no longer keeping me bound, but I've been set free. I hope that those aren't just words on a wall for you this morning. And yet, we know the tension, and that's why we're here again this morning, that we are forgetful, we are distracted, we are overwhelmed at times. And to that end, I want to pray for us this morning, and then we'll get to God's Word. Would you join me as we pray? Our Father, this morning we, we bow our hearts. God, if we are here and we have yet to enter into the headspace of knowing that this is a sacred, holy hour, God, we are not here because we merely ought to be here. We are here because you have called us here. You have commanded us here among our brothers and our sisters to lift high the throne, the mighty name of Jesus. And so help us, Lord, to do just that. God, you can capture our attention when there are other things that we have occupied our heads and our hearts with. God, your word alone can divide and get to those crevices and places, Lord, that we frankly will not go to or that we have closed off. And so I pray that your word would do just that this morning, that it would both convict and encourage and comfort and equip your people and draw the sinner and the saint alike to a place of humility and exhilaration in the fact that grace and mercy has given us God himself. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm uh, Pastor Michael, uh, for those of you who may not know, I've, I've been mingling this morning and noticed that we have a few visitor, visitors here, and uh, I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, if you're just passing through, we're glad that you are. Um, if you uh, have intentions of maybe um, sticking around, uh, we welcome you. Uh, we know that there are folks at this time maybe that are looking for a church, a place to call home, and there are others who are vacationing and uh, you can look around and see that uh, it's been said more than once uh, that, that our crowd's down a little bit, and um, we take that with the summer. Uh, and that brings me to our sermon series, Summer in the Psalms. We intentionally uh, set our summer up in such a way that you could miss, um, you could miss a Sunday here or there, and yet you wouldn't come back going, I wish that, you know, I would have gotten last week's message because this doesn't make sense. Um, these messages through the book of Psalms uh, can stand alone. And uh, it's my honor and a joy 
honestly, to uh, bring uh, a psalm this morning uh, to you, and it is Psalm chapter 84. Uh, If you have a Bible, a copy of the Scriptures, if you do not, that's okay. We will have it on the screen for you. Uh, Psalm 84 is our text this morning, and I'm titling the message this morning, uh, Home Has My Heart. Home Has My Heart. Uh, I'm going to read Psalm 84, and I'd ask that you follow along with me. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah, verse 1. This is God's word. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed or blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And may God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word this morning. Now, as I said, the title of this message is Home Has My Heart. Have you ever wanted to be somewhere else? Let me ask again. Have you ever wanted to be somewhere else? You may want to be somewhere else right now. I came in this morning sideways. I've been at the Lawrence County Fair all week. Okay? Now... I like the Lawrence County Fair. I've warmed up to camping at the Lawrence County Fair. (laughs) Staying in a camper, taking a shower in a telephone booth every night, okay? Now, I'm tired, and I'll admit that this morning. But there's something about home, isn't there? We're going on vacations, the summer months, we're scattered, and yet the refrain of Dorothy from Wizard of Oz, there's no place like home. In fact, when my kids come home, my boys, they're starting to grow out of this a little bit. As soon as they walk through the threshold, the clothes come off. Why? Because we're home, and here it's safe, and I can be me. I um I admit that I like home, whether it's Lawrence County, whether it's 
243, just right over the hill here, sleeping in my own bed. But there's a longing. The tone and tenor of this particular psalm that we just read, there's a longing, there's an aching that's present here, and I hope you didn't miss it, and I, I hope you'll see it, and I hope you'll identify with it. For some of you, I ask if, if you would rather be somewhere else. Some of you, as I'm looking around the room, I don't just mean location. Sometimes it might be circumstantially you wish you were somewhere else. You wish you were somewhere else, high school student who just can't wait to graduate, or maybe you wish you were somewhere else going through divorce. You, you go burying a child. These are things that are present in this room right now. You wish you were somewhere else. You are suffering a sickness. And the prognosis is not good. You are experiencing death and decay because we live in a world that is diseased and the curse reaches all four corners of creation. Now, giving you a little bit of background as we get into Psalm 84, we, we heard that this is a psalm to the choir master according to the Gittith. I don't really know what that means. I also, you hear Selah in this psalm. I don't know what that means. In fact, many have imagined what that might mean. I'm like, it might be chord change. When you see Selah, we don't know. It's, it's Marty going and getting another guitar, I imagine, maybe. That could be it um, in the middle of this song. And I, I want to remind you that psalms are songs. And psalms are not just songs, but they're prayers. And I, I, my relationship with the book of Psalms was deepened just a few years ago when I really began to lean into psalms and realize that psalms are a gift to you and I. They give shape to our prayers. They give us permission at times when, we're, when we've believed or been told that you can't pray that way because our life has contours, has ups, has downs, has uglies, has tears, has anger, frustration, unmet expectations, and the Psalms give us language to pray. In fact, the Psalms are words from God, from men and women, to God. And that's amazing in and of itself, if you'll really stop and think about it for a moment. That God has given us his words, and yet they are also our words. And so when you don't know how to pray, you can see here that you have prayers. You have prayers. Sometimes you can go to a page in the Psalms and you can simply read and say, Lord, may this reflect my heart. God, I, I, I'm praying this page as was the title of a sermon that I preached maybe the last time that I had this opportunity on a Sunday morning. I'm praying this page. This particular psalm, Psalm 84, we were in Psalm 4 last week with, with Pastor Randy. 
I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this particular psalm, Psalm 84. He says this, It's to be called the pearl of psalms. What does he mean by that? He goes on to explain, If the 23rd be the most popular, the 103rd the most joyful, the 119th the most deeply experiential, the 51st the most plaintive, this is the one the most sweet of the psalms of peace. When you heard the words, this will date you a little bit, when you heard the words, a day in your court is better than a thousand elsewhere, you cued the song, didn't you? Better is one day than a thousand elsewhere. Some of you know what I'm talking about, others don't. That was probably like 90s, I'm guessing. But this is a rich psalm, as are all the psalms. And just a little bit of background, the sons of Korah, we read in Psalm 84 in the introduction that this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, I don't know. It has been mentioned in introduction introduction, uh, as we set up the psalms by way of overview that there were some psalms that contain the sons of Korah or are provided or sung or prayed by the sons of Korah. You can look back at Numbers chapter 16 in the beginning, earlier pages of your Bible to get a little bit of information on the sons of Korah. You can get information on Korah himself, and it's not pretty. If you go to Numbers chapter 16, you see 250 men led in rebellion against Moses by a man named Korah. And in fact, Moses looks to God and says, you're going to have to do something about this. And God says, just step back and, and watch. And the entire earth just opens up and swallows 250 people to indicate who it is that God is using and who it is that you can trust and who it is that you ought to follow. Amen. I don't know about that. Amen. Second <laughs> um, Chronicles chapter 20 shows these men, and I think it's a beautiful thing because you have in chapter 26 of Numbers showing that not all of Korah's descendants experience the same fate as the 250. In fact, it's by God's grace and his mercy that some, in fact, the sons, as we heard, are spared. And you can, you can read in, in chapter uh, 20 of Second Chronicles that these sons of Korah are leading by way of music, of instruments, in worship. And I can't help but think that they look back on where they could have been based on association and based on their grooming, their, their parental influence of where they would be. And they're singing and they're leading God's people, saying, I should not be leading God's people. I do not deserve. It is by grace that I sing. And my song is one of grace and of mercy. This is an unnamed son who sings this song. We don't know particular, in particular who it is. And he says, as we just kind of overview what it is that has been said in this psalm, just sim- simply put, for some reason this unnamed son, he, he can't be where God is to be worshipped. And where is this place? This place is the tabernacle. 
or perhaps the temple. We don't know exactly where, historically, where this falls. But for whatever reason, you heard last week that David's son Absalom was on a mission to take the life of his father, and David fled. Perhaps that's, maybe that, this, this psalm falls in that timeline, we're not certain. But we know that for whatever reason, this unnamed son of Korah, he, he does not have the ability at the moment to be in the place where God says, I am. And that's the temple, that is the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the mobile temple, the temple on the, on the move. And then later after David, the Solomon constructed the temple, the physical dwelling place of God. And, and there's in longing he sings. You can see in Psalm 84, verse 2, My heart and my flesh sing for joy. And it's describing the internals, the heart, the soul. That's the internal life. That's the interior life. That's the interior affections and desires. And you all have them. You all have affections and desires, longings. We could even say that this psalm is not about necessarily just loving God, but an appetite for God. And let me ask you that, just in Paul's, do you have an appetite for God? Do you have an appetite for God? So he has a longing to be where God is because home has his heart. He recalls the sparrow in verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home. And many have said that the sparrow, we can read in fact in Luke, where Jesus says, Are not five sparrows sold for pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. And so this unnamed son, he, he recalls the sparrow, which is insignificant. And then you have the swallow, and the swallow is likely restless. When you see, when you see the swallow, you, there's this restlessness. And so this, he recalls that in the temple, even the birds make their home in the temple or the tabernacle. And if God would take notice and would count them, for sure, the pinnacle of his creation, if you'll recall back earlier in Genesis, we get to the man and God finally says after the, the creation of man and of woman, this is really good. God certainly won't forget me if he'll remember the bird and he'll give home and refuge to the sparrow and the swallow. He sees me, is his refrain. Can you say that this morning with confidence? Do you know that he sees you? Beloved, church, God sees you. Amen. He knows you. And then we see a threefold benediction, or we might say as we see later in Matthew in the New Testament, the Beatitudes. We see these blessings, right? You can see one in verse 8. I'm sorry, not verse 8. Verse 4. Blessed. Num verse uh, 5, blessed. And finally, in verse 12. Starting in verse 4, blessed are those who dwell in your house. 
Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you. And then the summary, he, he wraps it all up and says, blessed is the one who trusts in God. You are blessed, and yet we all know, hashtag blessed, how we might define blessing really betrays what we see here, oftentimes. When you are asked, how are you, and you say blessed, are you betraying what God says is blessed? Are you, is your blessed definition in alignment with, with, with what God says is blessed? And I have a son named Asher, and this word blessed is where his name comes from. The Hebrew is Azrei. I don't know how to pronounce it, to be honest with you. I could get some help from someone smarter in the room. That's where the name Asher comes from. And it simply means, not simply, it's actually quite layered in meaning, it means happy of heart. We want to move past happy and say, no, joy, 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 it's about joy. That's what we're getting at here too. To be happy at heart is to have joy. And he says, happy at heart are those who dwell in your house. He says, happy at heart are those who, whose strength is not their own. Happy at heart. Not happy in the sense that you walk in this place and in your workspace and have a smile on your face. But there's something else going on on the interior. And confession, I think Christians are the best fakers there are. Do you know the word hypocrite or hypocrisy? That word means to be an actor. When you see or hear or know hypocrisy, you are seeing an actor, a faker. Confession. I can fake it with the best of them. As we continue. He knows how to be happy at heart. As he says, the ones who have access to God at all times are happy at heart. He says, those who know that their strength does not come from within but comes outside of them, not stuck on the stuff of now because you and I are so tempted to be stuck on the stuff of now, right? Notice he says, their hearts are the highways of Zion and it could be rendered... Their hearts are on pilgrimage. Their hearts are not stuck. Their hearts are not anchored or tethered to the current moment. And then there's this mention of this valley of Baca. And this valley of Baca is this dry, lifeless place. We know that by experience. In fact, I need to take a drink because my mouth is becoming dry. There are times and moments in our, in our lives where it's dry, like a desert. And you cannot seem to find a supply 
of life-giving water, and, and you don't think that this season is ever going to come in, to an end, or you just left one and you signed up for another, it seems. And you can't catch a break. He says, we're passing through this valley of Bacah, but notice, in a place where it is dry and where there is no life, because happy at heart are those who, as they go, make it a place of springs. There's a sense in which, yeah, I'm not home yet, but I take home with me. Do you, if you're not home yet, is there a sense in which it can be said of the people of God and the people of Big Branch Church, let's hone it in, that you take home with you, though you're not there yet. That home is where your heart is, and home has so possessed your heart that it makes a difference as you're going through the lifeless seasons, this arid desert, this place of exhaustion, this place of seemingly no hope. And then he breaks out in a personal prayer that seems to come from nowhere. And he says, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And if you know anything about Jacob, there's hope that God hears your prayer too. Because when you hear the name Jacob, you can hear the name liar, deceiver, unreliable, fearful, irrational, erratic, maybe even, lacking self-control, perhaps. The prayer of Jacob is not necessarily the prayer of the solid, got it all together, Christian in the room. He says, hear my prayer. Hear my prayer, O God of Jacob. Behold, look to our shield. And the prayer is, look to our king. We don't know who's king at this moment, but we know that the king represents this people. There's a covenant promise representative, and it's the king. And so his prayer is, look at our king with favor. Look at our king. And then he says, look on the face of your anointed. And this anointed, this is pointing us towards Messiah. Look at your Messiah. Look at our true king, not just our temporary king, because there's a better king that we need. We've yet to have the king take us where we need to go. And so look upon that king. We know that he's coming. But in the meantime, bless the one who leads us. And look on him with favor. Because when you look on him with favor, you look on us with favor. He says, home is with you. Verse 10. That there's no place I'd rather be. Now, I know that as we came in this place, we are probably in the minority. If we came through these doors with the heartfelt true, I'd rather be nowhere else than here this morning. There are some of you, and I, I wish it, I pray and I long for all of us to come to this place because we know that God has called us to be here with our brothers and sisters and we have a longing that brought us here and we are in agreement 
that there is no place I would rather be, that we are so enamored, we are so captivated, we are so overwhelmed with the fact that God has called us here, that he is in our midst. We are not just going through the motions right now. God is here, and I want to be where God is. He says, I'd rather be a nobody. I'd rather be a... Some have said this is the janitor's psalm. I would rather scrub floors in the church than I would to be a somebody with popularity in sinfulness in the company of the wicked. I'd rather scrub the toilets than I would have a fame that rots. And I'm going to have nothing to show for it in, the light, in light of eternity. And then verses 11 and 12, he answers my prayer. He answers my prayer. He goes on and says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor. He's answering my prayer. No good thing does he withhold to those who walk uprightly. Now, at this point we could say, or it begs the question, who are those who walk uprightly? Would we then take this and say, okay, so at this point, the blessing is upon those who start doing all the right things and ceasing all the wrong. At this point, could I shift the sermon and start loading you up this morning, giving you all kinds of things that you now need to do? Get out your, your notebook and, and here's the list of things that I want. Here's your homework. Here are the burdens that I want, to, want you to bear. And I want you to get it right because the blessing depends on it. Is that the tone and tenor of this man? Well, we know, as I said, the Psalms are the prayers of God's people and they are the words of God. It could be said that these are the words of Christ to us. These are the prayers of Christ for us. Not just a son of Korah, but the son of God. His prayer for us, found in Psalm 84. So, blessed is the one who walks upright. Who is that? The prayer is answered. A promise is kept, the anointed and the upright. Colossians 1.22, I want you to see it clearly. I don't want you to see me making some leap into the dark. Colossians 1.22, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and without accusation. The upright, the anointed is Christ. The, the beloved, the anointed, the upright the blessed is Jesus. Jesus is the blessed. He is praying for Jesus to represent the people. Because as goes Jesus, as goes the people. And I don't know if you're tracking with me right now, but this is incredible. This is earth-shattering news right here. This makes all the difference. And I personally cannot get over it. You can't afford to get over it. And if you don't know it yet, you need to get it, for there's nothing better to receive than Christ himself in all his fullness. All of Christ, all the time, in all of life. 
And I see that here, and I want you to see it too. I could load you down. I could. I could give you 12 things to go do to make your home a better place. I could give you six for a better marriage. I could give you four things to be a better worker on the job site. I could give you three things to, to pray in such a way that you ought to pray. And those things are actually good things. And that's sometimes what we've come here wanting and longing for. Give me something to do because I feel really good when I accomplish it. But if that is your Christianity and that's the ceiling of your relationship with God, oh, oh God, please help us and help you and me. And I don't say that in an effort to heap guilt on you. I want you to be free. I want to be free as I know that I am in Jesus Christ. So we see this text is not just about the sons of Korah and it is not just about Israel and it is not just about a pilgrimage. It is about Christ and it is about you and it is about the people in this room this very hour in that seat, that seat, the one in the back, the one in the front, except there's nobody sitting there. The ones listening online, it is for you, not written to you, but for you. How so? The dwelling place. I long to be in the dwelling place of God. He starts his prayer is that. Did you read it? Did you hear it? Do you know it? How lovely is your dwelling place? I long to be where you are. Colossians 2, 9, for in him, in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The place where God dwells is Jesus. The body of God is Jesus. And his people, that is the place where God dwells. And so, if God dwells in Jesus and God dwells in his people, does that make all the difference not just as you come here, but as you leave. That you are the temple. You are the house of God. Not just individually, but collectively. In fact, you're more the temple of God together than you are alone. We are more the body collectively together. We is greater than me. This morning, we collectively, and not just on Sunday morning, and that's why we've got to move from just being we here on Sunday morning to we through the week, to, to we on Tuesday morning when it counts, to we in the, in the wee hours of the night when despair and heartache has got the best of you, and you're not afraid to call and wake someone up. Because you know they got you and they get you. We see that Jesus, in his death, he has become all that we need. And we see even the presence of an altar here. This, this psalmist, he points our eyes to the, 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 shepherd, the, sh the birds, the swallow, and the sparrow, and he can't forget the altar 
where the blood would be shed, where the sacrifice would be had. And you and I, we, we still think we've got to make more sacrifices every single day to be pleasing in God's sight. Oh, I'm not sacrificing enough. God will when I sacrifice more, when I sacrifice more. Sacrifice will come when you see that God is pleased with his sacrifice of his son. It will, and it should, and it ought to erupt and evolve into your own personal sacrifices, but he's not looking to yours to be pleased with you. You go on to see the Valley of Baca. And I can't help but think of the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23 as we pass through the valley of the shadow of death. It feels like I'm dying when I'm passing through the valley of the shadow of death. Or it might feel like I'm dying when I'm passing through the valley of Baca, this lifeless place. Does Jesus understand? Can Jesus relate? Can he identify After this, John 19 says, knowing that all was now finished, he said, I thirst. If anyone knows what it's like, if anyone knows what you feel, if anyone knows the pain, if anyone can feel perhaps even more than you and I can feel, it's Jesus. He feels with you and for you. He says, I thirst. But then he goes on to say, whoever drinks of the water that I will give in John 4, I will give him water that he will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him springs of water welling up to eternal life. Our longings Home has my heart. We could also say, and we could ask, does Christ, my home, does he have my heart? And that brings us to confession. Because all of us, every single one of us, including your preacher this morning, can confess longings that are unmet, and yet they are met in Jesus Christ. I can acknowledge here this morning that there are things that I long for and I don't make the connections and I don't see how Jesus actually speaks in. How does Jesus make a difference here? And that's not God's problem, that's mine. That's not God's problem, that's yours, where you and I don't see. And yet, is God upset and is he... No, he's patient. He's patient that you see where he in his fullness meets you in all those unmet longings, all those desires. You see, it's okay to be there, isn't it? It better be, because I would imagine that most of you are there. I don't think that there are many in this room right now in the sound of my voice that are entirely content. And so it's okay to be there. And yet at the same time, it's not okay. It's, it's not okay in so, insofar as you don't acknowledge that or you don't identify it or you don't take the time. We won't and don't want to take the time 
to look at our hearts for fear of what we might find. It's a whole lot easier to just put your head down and keep moving, isn't it? Than to look at what needs to change. Because it hurts. It hurts. The surgeon, he goes to cutting. The holy hand of God cutting in to get to those layers that you wish he wouldn't. But it is good. It is good for you. That pain is going to be met with relief when he gets to the places where you won't go on your own. And you don't want others to go either. And so there are, there are artificials and imposters that abound. Our longings can be temporarily met when we've got the anchor down on this earth, can't they? Why do we run again and again and again to these things? Because they kind of work for a moment. They, they don't go far enough, but they go far enough for us to come back and say, huh, it didn't deliver. God, you do. Bring me back, bring me back. You get what you pay for, don't you, in artificial substitutes. So we're not journeying to the temple, are we? But are we headed homeward? Are we together moving towards home? Are you and I, is our gaze in another place? Oh, I sure hope so. You see, we're templing right now in this very moment. We are templing. We are being the house of God in this place together. And we will leave this place and we will continue templing into this week. And yet what difference will that make? I want to confess to you this morning as one of your pastors a pessimism that betrays who God is and what he is capable of. There is an optimism of the people of God that is consistent with who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ that ought to be, just as we see in this prayer, in this song, that when we pass through the valley of the shadow of death or the valley of Bacah, that we make things better around us. And I'm asking you and I'm asking me because I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ not because I met him 15, 20 years ago but because I met with him this morning. Places and people are better because I'm around. Places and people are better because you're there. Because you, church, beloved, are an outpost of heaven. Because you are an ambassador of reconciliation with God. And this seasons the things that come out of your mouth. And this seasons your attitude and what goes on in your headspace. This seasons your approach to the day. And the interruptions and the difficulties and the hard to love people. Does it make a difference? If it doesn't, Something's amiss. Something's amiss. And that something is your heart. And God can do that heart work. And he will. But you've got to identify it. You've got to do that work of confession and of repentance. Repentance. 
It's not a dirty word, as I often say. As you go, as he's going, are you making the place better? Because home has your heart. And so are we engaging the elements, even here this morning of this service? I'm touching on it because we are here this very hour, and if we're not careful, even when we came into this place and we already have an expectation of what is to come, that we've so reduced it to a mechanic and to a structure that we're not engaging even the elements of this service. And if you engage the elements of this service, I mean literally looking and listening to the message that you're hearing. I mean looking and seeing who is in the room with you. This is not a service just to check the box for you. This is not a service we are providing for you like McDonald's or Wendy's. This is a service where God is serving us up himself. And then we engage this service so that we can extend it through this week in service to one another, in sacrifice to one another. It's not happening to the degree that I know we're satisfied. Amen? It's not happening to the degree that you and I would like, and it's, it's life-giving when you get in the game. If you have sidelined yourself, you're missing out. Or if you've never gotten in the game, I'm missing out because of your contribution or the lack thereof. Amen? We're not home yet. And our hopes are met in Jesus Christ. And we have all of Christ right now as far as his grace. He cannot give us any more grace than we have received. And yet you and I have got it wrong if we think that that means that we can't go deeper into our experience with him and with one another. If you hear that you have all you need in Jesus and you hear So this is it. This is all that there is. You'll see him when you get home. Beloved, you've missed it. You've misunderstood. There is a deepening relationship all your life long. You move from strength to strength, he says in prayer. That sounds an awful lot like glory to glory from Paul. We move from God supplying us strength for today, daily bread for today to tomorrow, And it's enough to nourish us and strengthen us. And every single person in this room matters to God. And we need you in the game. Because it is no game. It is a matter of life and death for eternity. But even in the here and now. I mean life and death as in your mental health is on the line. Your contentment is on the line. Your joy is on the line. Happy at heart are those who know and want to be where God is with God's people and want to be unleashed with their gifting, with their experiences, with their time, and with their talent. Please stand.